0: We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode.
1: Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Tuesday, December 5th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. And then we're also going to have a discussion about the new movie Wonka. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad. Uh, it's probably going to be a shorter episode today. Um Typically on Tuesdays, we talk about movie news and TV news and stuff like that. There's not really a ton to dig into in a big way right now. Uh, But one thing that I did want to talk to you about, I believe this debuted at, I think it's called CCXP, the Brazilian uh, comic convention kind of thing. Yes, Uh, indeed. This happened last weekend. Uh, There was a new trailer released for Godzilla X Kong The New
1: Empire. Um, (laughs) What did you make of this trailer, Brad? Uh man, this is a wild trailer. I was not expecting so many uh crazy things to happen because like the the Godzilla movies up until this point have been uh I I mean I suppose Godzilla versus Kong you know elevated things a little but this feels like it's taking things in a lot more of like a true like big zany almost zany sci-fi direction you know you Kong with like uh you know some kind of metal contraption on his hand uh and he's he's got a, a tiny Kong with him now. Uh, you've got Godzilla and Kong like running together like this amazing team. Um, yeah, there's just there's a lot of stuff happening in this trailer. But like I'm also kind of like here for it, just because it really t- feels like it's taking a big swing and doing things that we haven't seen in like a Godzilla movie of, of this scale before.
0: Interesting. Okay. So uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I agree with you that it seems like it's going way over the top, even compared to what we've seen in this franchise, I would say I'm not as here for it just because, uh, I don't know, it just, it looks ridiculous. Like the the previous movie took people into like a, a weird, um, like almost planet within the planet earth, right? Like there's some sort of like planet under, in the middle of the earth's core or something where like uh, gravity works upside down, <laughs> just like stuff is, I mean, yeah, they've kind of like lost Obviously, like the idea of uh, of Godzilla stomping around and like a giant um, ape or whatever is not the most realistic thing, but like to to a degree, there was some sense of groundedness in these movies. Well,
1: so, so that's that's why I said Godzilla versus Kong because that's where they introduced the the Hollow Earth uh, yeah. theory.
0: Yeah. So now this just seems to be like going full bore in more into that, embracing that side of things. Like, who created that? Uh, You know, it it raises a lot of questions for me, Brad. That's what I'll say. Like, as somebody who kind of like cares about rules and things like that in movies typically, um, like who created that giant mechanical glove for Kong or whatever? Well, you Um, know,
1: I honestly what I I, what I think it is is I'm, I'm betting there's probably like a practical explanation for it. Like it might be part of like some kind of uh um like containment like uh system or something they used to like hold kong so that he wouldn't do something but he mm. bro- he broke out of it and now it's stuck to his hand but now it works to his benefit
0: <laughs> interesting okay so you mentioned the the tiny kong um that was i guess like he looks like he's he's got red fur and i believe that or- the original or like one of the early reported titles for this movie was going to be something like son of kong do you
1: remember when that first I do time? remember hearing oh. rumblings of that yeah
0: yeah so i was wondering if the same like so uh over the course of this trailer it's revealed that Godzilla and Kong team up to fight what appears to be a gigantic um ape with like a uh what are those things called uh that like um Chewbacca wears in Star Wars where there's it's like a ammo rounds oh, like, that, like over that, your a shoulder. Band- a bandolier a bandolier yes a bandolier made of bones this villain villainous creature in this movie seems to be uh, rocking one of those as you do um i'm wondering if the tiny creature that we see with like the you know the dreamworks face eyes kind of in the very beginning of this trailer actually grows up rapidly to become the villain of this movie do you think oh, that there's a, a a possibility that that uh that could be
1: yeah, and and maybe it's, like, the kind of thing, too, where it was, like, created, like, as, like, almost like a clone of Kong, maybe, and it was given some kind of acceleration genes, and it, so that's, that's what happens. That would be yeah. interesting to see.
0: Yeah, what did you make of uh, Godzilla's pink makeover? Like, the atomic breath kind of um, launching up through his body and causing... Uh, pink to come out.
1: Well, Barbie is just everywhere now, and we have to <laughs> accept it. Uh, but no, that so actually, uh, Hannah Shaw Williams, our our own uh, Hannah from Slash Film, she actually wrote a whole thing about how uh, Godzilla's pink energy has a history in the Godzilla franchise. So that's that's not actually something that's totally new, but it's cool that they're bringing it into the the fray now.
0: I am not a huge Godzilla fan, so I had no idea about that. That's awesome. I will link to that in the show notes. I did not get a chance to read that article yet. Um, there's so much stuff at Slash Film, everybody. Uh, I encourage everyone to, to read what we write on the website, and I need to take my own advice there. Um, okay, Brad, the only other like relatively interesting news item that I thought we could dis- discuss today is uh, something that came out this morning, which is that Disney is giving Pixar's Soul, Turning Red, and Luca a proper theatrical release in 2024. So these movies went for all intents and purposes straight to Disney plus. I think a few of them got, um, you know, some sort of very, very limited theatrical release, but, uh, on January 12th, soul is going to be coming back to theater or coming to theaters on February 9th, turning red is coming to theaters. And then, Uh, and March 22nd, Luca is coming to theaters. And as Ryan and I talked about on yesterday's episode, that kind of helps pad out Disney's schedule for the very beginning of 2024, because the first few months of the year are not looking great in terms of just, uh, you know, reliable product, I guess, if you want to use that term. So, um, what do you think about them essentially saying like, Hey, we kind of made a mistake by putting these movies directly on streaming, and now we're going to try to make up for it by putting them in theaters.
1: Uh, you know, I mean, I think it's an interesting uh, experiment, I guess, to see, or, or at least like give people the chance to see it in theaters if they want to. You know, because seeing them on the big screen uh, would be exciting, especially you know if you're a parent and you've got kids, you know, and you want to get out of the house and they haven't watched these movies yet. Then it's a great way to be able to experience them for for the first time. I personally wouldn't wouldn't mind seeing them. Uh, again, in theaters, you know, the the right way, because I saw all of them for the first time from, you know, the comfort of my home. Mm-hmm. So a uh, part of me wonders if they're kind of like hedging their bets and they're saying, well, you know, uh, Elemental had really long legs, at the box office. Let's see if we can, you know, get some more box office dollars out of these these movies that didn't get a chance in theaters. Um, my, my bet is that they're probably not going to make a ton of money, but maybe like it'll push some of them past like a box office milestone that could, mm. you know, help in the long run. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's a cool idea to at least give it a shot.
0: It kind of makes sense. Cause it doesn't really cost them very much to do it. The movies are just sitting there on Disney plus anyway. I am wondering though, if you think that this will be enough to turn Pixar around in people's minds. Cause I think we've talked a lot about the idea that like, and even Bob Iger has said like the, the brand of Pixar was damaged by that decision to put these things on Disney plus so quickly. Um, and I wonder if you think putting these back in theaters is like a, um, if it achieves a subconscious goal of, even though these movies have been out for a while, audiences seeing them, you know, out, seeing potentially new trailers or TV spots or something, advertising these. And the idea of like, oh, these movies are back in theaters now. uh, If that's like, yeah, some sort of subconscious thing, like a a message to uh, consumers that, hey, like this, um, you know, Pixar projects are actually valid and worthy of being, Uh, you know, put back in theaters and like, get used to this, because this is going to happen in the future again.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure if it's going to help with general audiences. I'm not sure general audiences really like, look at look at it beyond anything other than convenience for them, you know, like having those Pixar movies hit streaming, uh, you know, and be be a part of disney plus you know very quickly after they were released you know sometimes be uh because of the pandemic really just became uh easier for them to watch and so i i don't think it necessarily harmed pixar as much as it might seem from our eyes because especially again you look at elemental it seemed like that movie was going to be pixar's you know flop but it stuck around and had very long legs at the box office and it made almost 500 million worldwide so that's still a hit movie for Pixar. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they necessarily need to totally overhaul it. And I don't think re-releasing movies that are already on Disney plus is really going to change that. If anything, I think what will probably get people to like be back on Pixar's side, if they feel like, you know, they're not worth going out to theaters immediately is inside out Two, which is coming out next year. Uh, you know, people love Inside Out. They just recently released the teaser trailer for that. I'm sure it will be playing before each and every one of these re-releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, you know, I think that will be something where people will turn out to theaters. And and if anything, part of me thinks that the reason that, like, we didn't see, you know, a a, a big reaction for those movies is, A, because they were on streaming and the streaming world moves so fast that just, just the buzz that is around stuff doesn't last as long as it should. I mean, we're done talking about a season of Stranger Things after a week or two, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that like, that was one of the other issues with those movies. And so, um, on top of the fact that they weren't, uh, they were all original ideas, you know, and it can be kind of hard to latch on to the, the original Pixar stuff if it's not, you know, a sequel to something that people already love. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and I think there's a, a mix of different factors here, but I, I feel like inside out Two we'll, we'll, we'll see that like. Pixar's, you know, slump whatever it is. You know, maybe it's a it was a little uh, less successful than you might have wanted to be right out of the gate. But I think that they're they're still doing okay.
0: Yeah, I think Turning Red is my favorite of these projects, Soul Turning Red and Luca. Um, and I would love it for like the conversation about that movie to be boosted in a way, you know, from from that re-release. I don't know if like you're ever going to be able to recapture or, or capture what it would have been, you know, had it had a, uh, a theatrical release originally with like all of the sort of momentum that a project has um, like that, that sort of like organic conversation that, that forms, but, um, but yeah, maybe a re-release will help there. I'm curious though, if you think like Disney could put other movies back into theaters in 2024, um, Ryan and I just went over the first six months of the year yesterday and, you know, 2024 is like not going to be the most crowded year at the box office um, just because of the strikes and because of uh, yeah, even still COVID delays and things like that. So like we're, we're still coming out of all of that. And um, a lot of stuff has just been delayed and delayed and delayed and, and moved out of 2024. So there's an opportunity, I think, for Disney to, to see some of those gaps and just say, hey, it's probably it might be worth our while to plug some more of our older projects back into theaters here for a little while, even if it's only for like a couple weeks or something, just to sort of juice, whatever, you know, squeeze whatever they can out of it. Um, So curious, Brad, if there are any, you know, classic or otherwise Disney movies that you would like to see get a re-release next year.
1: Oh, I mean, I say we reach back uh, and do uh, a nice um, like 30th anniversary re-release of blank Check. Okay, going into live action mode, I like it. Yeah, honestly, because the live action movies they've they've kind of like fallen by the wayside. Disney doesn't like throw the same amount of like uh, reverence or like respect or even like nostalgia around them as they do their animated movies. You know, I I really wish they would because like uh you know, right around 1994, you know, we had we had Blink check. There's also D2 the Mighty Ducks. Just bring all the Mighty Ducks back into theaters. Let's let's do it. You know,
0: um, I mean, there was that uh, Mighty Ducks show on Disney Plus for a while, so like that could be a way to like help uh maybe drive people back to the subscription service that way yeah
1: and then the same year we also got angels in the outfield and the first santa claus like yeah put all these movies back in theaters what 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 are are we doing that's actually
0: a pretty decent little crop of movies like those movies i feel like have a a um, you know, some sort of a uh, staying power or like cultural reputation that's actually positive. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's impressive. I, yeah, I would say like I was thinking more along the lines of animated stuff, but there's no reason why they couldn't put live action stuff back in there. Yeah, and um, especially
1: because the animated stuff, they like they are re-releasing those every now and then if it's an anniversary or something like that. So,
0: yeah, huh? So blank check, huh? What what, what is it about that one that uh, that stood <laughs> out to you?
1: It's just what it's one that I always loved when I was a kid, and it's it's so silly and. Uh, stupid, but just it was such a, a wild fantasy as a kid to like, be, you know, 10 years old or whatever, and suddenly have a million dollars. And like imagining having your own mansion and just like the coolest backyard and a, uh, a slide that goes from the, the second floor of your house into a swimming pool. And just <laughs> it was just the coolest thing to to imagine that. So I've, I've always loved Blank Check.
0: The funniest thing about that, Brad, is like when I was living in L.A., I lived on uh, in, in Hollywood and it was, you know, a fine area. I, I was renting an apartment and my wife and I were looking about like, OK, you know, where can we potentially buy a house around here. And there was a, an empty house across the street from us. Um, this is near the Capitol Records building. And it was just like a fine street, like, you know, not notable at all. Just like pure, seemed like suburbia kind of right in the middle of, of Hollywood. And the the house was one story house across the street, and I was like, let's just see how much this is, and it was two million dollars, Brad, for like a just a, a normal uh, house that would probably cost I don't know one hundred and fifty grand in you know any town USA kind of thing. Yep. So um, the idea that like this kid was just rolling around in like all of this excess. With one million dollars, um, it's like that money would not it was, go as It was a different time.
1: It was a yeah. different time. <laughs> oh, and, you know, if, if you haven't seen Blank Check in a while, too, uh, it, it has a, a wild uh, cast in it because you have you have Tone Loc who's in it as Juice. You have James Reborn who is Preston's father. Yep. Uh, you have Karen Duffy, who is uh, an undercover FBI agent, who seems to have a strange relationship with Preston because um, <laughs> he because he's attracted to her because he's feeling those hormones. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of where you have a Miguel Ferrer as the villain, which is, yeah. is so much fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there's. I mean, blank check. Yeah, if you have, that's streaming on Disney Plus right now, I believe. So if you have not yeah. seen that movie, uh, go check it out. It's it's certainly a period like a um, a symbolic of the the type of movies that were being made back then but it's it's a lot of fun i think it holds up pretty
1: well uh fun Um, fun fact the the house that preston buys it's it looks like a castle uh it is uh, a real location in austin it is a texas historical landmark and it is now owned by robert rodriguez (laughs) holy shit
0: wow that you Uh, didn't expect
1: you were getting blank check facts today folks
0: (laughs) absolutely not wow that is that is amazing um (laughs) I hope he like recreates the uh the interior for at least a part of it like the the part <laughs> with the slide. Uh that would be very amusing to think about. Um I I was thinking about other movies that could be re-released Brad. Like I would love to see The Rocketeer get Ooh, back yeah. in theaters cuz that one kind of I mean famously got trashed by um other movies at the box office that came out around that same time. I think it happened to come out like right around the same time as Terminator 2. I still can't um, believe
1: they haven't done a proper like legacy sequel to that movie.
0: I believe they're working on it. I think David Oyelowo last I heard was working on uh starring in and I believe producing a new version of it and I, I can't remember that the director who was attached but um I think it's been in the works for several years and like, hopefully it finally gets over the finish line. I know they were thinking about doing like an animated version at some point, uh, or maybe that was just for like a Disney junior or something, but like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're really that, that, um, franchise, that property seems like, there's so much wealth to mine from that. If Disney is interested in, in especially with
1: all so. the, like the fandom that's out there for like steampunk and stuff like that. You yeah.
0: Know? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was like, I was thinking about, um, sleeping beauty and just how gorgeous that movie is. And like the backgrounds and everything, if you're looking to, you know, if you're Disney and looking to show off some of the, um, you know, the glory days and like the, the, gorgeous artwork that was created for the backgrounds of those movies. Uh, I feel like that might be a good one to re-release. I personally love the 1970s Robin Hood, the animated Robin Hood
1: movie. Do you have Mm -hmm. a a fond uh, spot for that? I do, yeah. I I grew up watching that all the time because I had it on VHS in the old school clamshell case.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, And then what about the Black Cauldron? Did you ever see that one? I know that's become like sort of a redheaded stepchild for Disney.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't actually. That was one that I didn't grow up with.
0: That would be a cool opportunity, I think, for them to just be like to sort of like reclaim these movies that maybe don't necessarily have the greatest reputation or aren't always in the rotation for especially like Gen Z and some of the younger audiences coming up or whatever, like just being like, hey, remember this kind of thing or like just introducing people to some of their older stuff. Yeah. It just seems like like kind of a no brainer to me, especially in a year like 2024, where there's going to be a lot of room to do that. So uh, anyway, we'll see what Disney decides to do. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Would you be surprised if they if they uh, re-released Inside Out in the lead up to Inside Out 2? Like that That seems like they have to do that, right?
1: I, I mean, I would think that it would be a good idea because it's been nine years since the last one. So yeah, which is
0: kind of wild to think about, too. It doesn't seem like that movie came out almost a decade ago.
1: Yeah, I, um, I think it's a good idea. Why not?
0: All right. Well, let's take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about uh, a potentially scrumdiddlyumptious movie. All right, Brad. Let's talk about Wonka. This is the new movie from Paul King, the director of the first two Paddington movies. the stars Timothy Chalamet as young Wonka, young hot Willy Wonka. Uh, the first question I have for you, aside from like whether or not it's good, I'm I'm curious about the music aspect of this, Brad, because like it's been sort of whispered about that this movie is a musical. Um, I was at CinemaCon and they showed a couple sequences that looked like, you know, big song and dance numbers, but they didn't really, the the, the marketing for this movie has not really leaned on the musical aspect almost at all. So I was curious how much of a musical this is. Are we talking like full-fledged, you know, like six songs or whatever, or is this just like there's one or two songs and that's it?
1: No this this is a full on musical movie. There's there there are more songs in this movie than there are in the original Willy Wonka even. Because uh, and if you think about it, the original Willy Wonka it has pure imagination and it has uh, several Oompa Loompa songs. Uh, but this uh, goes well beyond that. It is it is definitely a thing where uh, song and dance sequences um, drive the narrative. There are, you know there are character moments of of development things like that that come out in songs. So yeah, it is it is a full on musical and really it's just like. Hiding that is kind of part of this trend of even movies that were like, you know, it's a full on musical, they don't really feature like the music very much, like more, most recently the Mean Girls musical didn't actually feature, you know, as far as like the, the songs from the the musical, the stage production or anything, you don't really hear much of it. You can see them dancing stuff like that, but they really kind of hide the idea that it actually is a musical.
0: Yeah, it's so weird. I wonder if they just like they clearly somewhere in their uh, market research or whatever, have it written down or have it like uh, encased in their minds that like, we have to trick people into seeing these movies. We yeah. can't lean on this uh, as a marketing tool. It's just so strange, but um, okay. So now I want to ask you, did you like Wonka, Brad? Is it a good movie?
1: Honestly, for the most part, I I liked it. Um, I, I don't think it's uh, amazing, you know, like the, the next big thing or anything like that, though. I'm sure it will be a box office hit. Um, But I I I enjoyed it for the most part. But for me, where the movie stumbles um, is that I just didn't really buy into Timothy Chalamet as Wonka. Uh, He just didn't fit the role very well. Um, And he he tries very hard uh, to have this kind of like quirky, goofy side, but it always rings false. Like it it almost feels like he's doing uh, a slight Jim Carrey impersonation when he like fits into. These moments where he's being a little bit zany, um, it just it, it never feels like an authentic performance. It feels like Timothy Chalamet is pretending to be Willy Wonka in like a Saturday Night Live sketch or something.
0: Yeah, I was wondering about that because like you know the the version that we see of him is is so. Um... I don't know what the word a bit chipper maybe like right yeah. and like sort of a go-getter and like gee whiz whatever and that is not what Gene Wilder did and I understand that it's a younger version there's like decades in between that like you know things could have happened in the character's life to shape him I'm not ex- I'm not saying that everybody has to be the same all the way through their lives but did you feel a through line between what Chalamet was doing
1: and what Gene Wilder did no, and I think that's kind of the point because this because it is Young Wonka. Uh, part of his traits are that he's he's a dreamer and he's kind of he's very naive, so he doesn't really understand the the cynicism or the darkness that's in the world yet. He he grew up in the jungle uh, with with his mother, played by Sally Hawkins, um, and he doesn't really understand like the the darkness that can exist in the world. So he's this very. Um, positive, you know, forward-looking, you know, dreamer who has hopes of opening up his own chocolate store, and so I was fine with that aspect of it because um, I didn't expect him to be exactly the same as Gene Wilder's version. But it's just for for whatever reason, Chalamet just feels like uh, he doesn't disappear into the role. And on top of that, because this is a full blown musical. Kind of similar to the problem with Johnny Depp playing Sweeney Todd. Uh, neither of them has a strong enough voice to sustain a musical like this. Like, they're, mm. they're not bad singers, but they just don't have, like, a powerful enough musical voice to really make some of these songs sing.
0: Mm. Man, that's unfortunate. Okay, so so what about Paul King? Like, you know, I, I know that you loved the uh, Paddington movies. I love mm-hmm. those movies as well. Uh like, do you think it was worth it for him to make this movie instead of Paddington 3, which is being made by another director?
1: You know, it's I think it's tough to say it would It would depend on how good Paddington 3 is, Uh, you know, like if it's not as good as it could have been with Paul King directing. Um, But you know, I, I do think that he did do a good job of giving us an origin story for Willy Wonka that doesn't like, fully pander to the traits of the original like they're the one that's thing that's cool about this is while there are some like uh, easter eggs and references to things that you might remember from the the movie or the book they're not like cheap you know winks and nods they they fit into the story nicely like um they they're not just like there just for the sake of like hey you remember Willy Wonka huh? mm-hmm. <laughs> uh you know and so and that was good and he he brings a a, a wonderful a fantastical style to it like th- this movie very much feels like Paddington meets Matilda in a way, oh. um, and so like he he really brought an interesting team together to like bring this to life. The production design is incredible. Um, the the cinematography, the way that the song and dance sequences are shot, is is really great. The songs themselves, along with the choreography um there it, it's all very wonderful to look at you surprisingly enough uh chung hoon chung is the one who was the cinematographer for this who did like old boy and the handmaiden which is oh wow yeah wild to think about but like you can really see kind of like the, the just how he weaves the camera through these sequences and why you know he he wanted somebody like that to to be uh the cinematographer because it it looks gorgeous um if there's one, I think downfall in like the film's style is that, and this isn't really Paul King's fault. It's just kind of the way movie making is today. Is some of the the sets when it comes to like seeing Wonka's candy store and stuff like that, they feel too visual effects enhanced, and they don't mm. have that tangible feel of magic and wonder that comes from like the, like the 1971 version, you know? Because like when you see the chocolate factory in the original, that's all one big real set, and like you can you can feel it. Like you you can imagine being there. And when you see some of the stuff like here in visual effects, it just doesn't feel as magical as it should, because you're like, Oh, well that's not real. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Cause that, yeah, that, that tactility, even like being in the boat and like, you can see that real waves are, you know, slapping up against the side of the boat or whatever. Like they're, they were actually in a water tank filming that. Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It is, is more and more rare these days. Um, but yeah, talk a little bit more about like the the look of the movie and how it feels. Like, what does this world look like? Does it feel appropriate for? <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe I was just. I mean, does it feel appropriate for a young Willy Wonka movie? I was about to ask that with a straight face, but um... <laughs> so silly. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. Tell me about the look of the movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it has. Uh, so it primarily takes place in this uh, European town, which I don't think they ever actually name. But like, Wonka rolls in. Uh, On a boat and he's ready to like try to figure out how to sell candy to people and open up his own candy store and where he goes to sell is this um, kind of like town square has a a very, you know, um, just classic kind of European look, Uh, you know, like large taller buildings, you know, beige colored columns and things like that. And that's where the, the chocolate cartel operates, which is uh, Slugworth, who is played by uh, Patterson Joseph. You have Matt Lucas, who plays Prodnose, uh, and Matthew Bainton as Figgle Gruber. And they're very cartoonish, you know, kind of villains. And they they try and keep Wonka from opening up his own shop because they have this, like, you know, uh, capitalistic grip on the, the chocolate industry. Uh, and it's a nice contrast between, like, Wonka's visions of, like, what he wants his... Uh, store to look like which is very much more more fantastical more more vibrant colors and things Mm -hmm. like that um but yeah it very much it kind of has a a similar visual style to uh to paddington in that way like it it has like a very uh british european you know style kind of approach to it It uh kind of like a an an old school vibe to it you know because it does, does take place in the past um but it's very very intricate uh designs looks like very very classic architecture uh and things like that but the uh, the clothes and stuff, like it, it's all this very cool, um, very cool, like materials and, and colors and whatnot. And it's just, it's very clear that it takes place in kind of like a a somewhat more you know fantastical world than what we would otherwise be accustomed to. And what about
0: Hugh Grant as the? Is he all of the Oompa Loompas, or is he just one, or how does? Yeah, that work?
1: he's he's just one. So all, all the Oompa Loompas are like individual things, and he pl- he plays one who ha- um, has been sent to like seek out Wonka because. Uh, his uh, they ba- basically his mom uh, took their their cocoa beans unknowingly and so he's mm. been tasked with getting them back uh, and honestly Hugh Grant is one of the best parts of this movie just because he has such a great uh, wry delivery of all his lines in that perfect Hugh Grant way that he's very very funny and strangely enough the visual effects for him uh, work very well like there there are moments where it looks like Willy Wonka is a very small person. And and not like in the way that like small that like like dwarf actors are, like from the original movie. He's much smaller than that even. And there are there are moments when like you see him walking around and stuff like that that it looks like it's like if it, it could be just him like on a set somewhere. So <laughs> I'd be curious to see how they did the visual effects for that and how much there was in like actually like shrinking down Hugh Grant through visual effects, or if they just did like a full CG character and like put his face on it and whatnot. Cause they did a very good job, but he's very funny in the role. Um, and honestly, for me, the, one of the things that makes Timothy Chalamet's performance uh, stand out even more as, as disappointing is how great the entire supporting cast is. Like everybody knows what kind of movie they're in. Like I, I mentioned the, like the Paddington meets Matilda vibe. Uh, and like every supporting actor knows what they're doing. You have the Chocolate Cartel, who are cartoonishly villainous. You have um, uh, Olivia Colman as Mrs. Scrubbit, who runs this like laundry room that Wonka gets gets stuck in uh, that he's forced to work at, and and she is also a very exaggerated villain. Um, it's all these characters like they're, they're they're they have big personalities and they're played a little over the top, and that makes Wonka's zaniness and eccentricities come up short because they don't feel like they're anywhere near as unique as the supporting characters that surround him, you know? Mm. And so I wonder, I wonder if that's because
0: Wonka is the main character of this story and he kind of maybe works. It sounds like from what you're saying, maybe he works a little bit better as a side character because like in the original movie, you know, it's following Charlie and like the, the kids and like their Wonka comes into the story, but he's not the focus of the story.
1: Yeah, that that's a good point. Actually, I ne- I never really thought of it like that, but that's uh, that might be it. But like, yeah, for me, I, I think just the issue is is like if if Chalamet could have given a performance that did have like shades of what would become, you know, Gene Wilder, and and it felt more authentic, I feel like it wouldn't necessarily be so hard uh, to buy into him as a character. But but as it is, it's just he he has a hard time keeping my attention like i just Mm. don't find what he's doing very interesting
0: yeah well i mean the movie has been getting like surprisingly good uh reviews um especially given the fact that like when this project was announced it seems like everyone on earth was like why are you doing this no one is asking for this like nobody nobody thinks this is going to be good and uh it seems like the I guess the broad critical consensus seems to be like, hey, this is surprisingly good. And even you, it sounds like, you know, you had some reservations, especially about Chalamet, but it seems like there's enough there that you would recommend this to people, maybe? I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I didn't walk out, you know, disliking it. Um, I'm not in love with it. Like, you know, I'm I'm not in a hurry to see it again either, but I I can see that, like, uh, there's a lot to enjoy here. I think people will like it. And yeah, and for a movie that really does feel totally unnecessary, you know, we, we didn't necessarily need a movie that explains, you know, where Willy Wonka came from. You know, it it does a pretty good job of providing an origin story. Uh, that enhances the character and provides an, an interesting path of people for him to meet and encounter that, you know, explains certain things about him without being like a an overly wink and nod like thing that like is checking the boxes. Oh, let's explain where his hat came from. Let's, let's explain <laughs> all, all this stuff. And thankfully, they do not explain like where <laughs> his hat came from or anything like that. Um, but 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 yeah, it's you know, uh, so there, there, there's plenty to enjoy about it, even if Chalamet isn't the best person for the lead role.
0: Gotcha. All right. So I'm going to link to Brad's review of Wonka in the show notes. I encourage everybody to read that. That's a great review. Um, Okay. I think that's going to do it for today's show. Like I said, you know, not really a ton to talk about, but I'm glad that we could sort of give people uh, the lowdown on what they can expect from Wonka when that comes out later this month. I'm not sure the exact date. Do you know the date off the top of your head, Brad? December 15th, next week. 15th. Okay. All right. That's going to do it for today's show. You can find much more at slashfilm.com. Slash, slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.